Good afternoon, A.B. Ross. Welcome on VH Berries. Hi, Victor. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I am extremely grateful. How are you doing today? Uh, you know, I'm pretty good. I've watched some other people on your um, channel that live in Vancouver, and I think we all say the same thing. It's a gloomy day, as per usual. Unless you were interviewing me in the summer, it's uh, nine months out of the year. Usually it's a pretty gloomy day, yeah. So it's, it's cloudy, a little cold, nothing too exciting, but, but I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? It might be gloomy, but the light that you are bringing in the art is freezing <laughs> each sequence brighter than the light inside the refrigerator <laughs> that landlord Max installed in Erin and Katie's apartment. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'd like to think that I um, can brighten up someone's day. I tend to be a pretty, pretty happy, smiley person most of the time, unless you cross me. And that's a different story. But yeah, I like to keep a positive attitude. <laughs> Absolutely. A.B. Ross and I mentioned a short film called The oh. Freeze, in which there is a specific refrigerator oh in Katie's and Erin's apartment. And I truly believe that this piece of art reveal numerous fragments of your geniuses. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Wow, um, I haven't thought about that short in a while, actually. It feels like it was so long ago. I was only 19, so I'm 26 now. Um, so that was seven years ago. The makeup they put on me was like, was next level. And the, but the best part about that was the fact that I had to wear these massive contact lenses called sclera contact lenses and they're like this big, like they take up your whole eye. And they didn't know if I was gonna be able to do it until I got there. And, and they said that most people can't do it. And I wear contacts normally. So I was able to put those in my eye and then I got to put that skill on my resume because it's a special skill. Uh, so that was amazing. But filming it, I mean, pff, such a long time ago. It was fun. It was definitely fun. Um, yeah, it was all covered in like white body makeup and face makeup. I was all veiny, like I had been frozen and, you know, it, I honestly like can't remember it well, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a long time ago. So it was one of my earlier projects, but it was great. It was lots of fun. It was a lot of fun, A.B. Ross. And if I understood correctly, being able to put multiple layers of contact lenses is a skill. Mm -hmm. Especially when they're that big, because uh, some people can't even put regular contacts in. They just get too squeamish and they can't touch their eyes. So being able to put the big ones in is for like special effects in film is a is a good skill to have. I haven't used it since, but no, you know what? Maybe that's not true. That's not true. I used um, contact lenses in Supernatural 
when I got turned into a werewolf. I don't know if they were quite as big, but they were like heavier duty and thicker than normal ones, and they were yellow. So I got to do that for, for Supernatural. So it's a great thing to be able to do for more like fantasy, supernatural type of shows or movies. Absolutely, A.B. Ross, this is a useful and essential skill to mm -hmm. carry in your pocket and to yeah. come back to that short film called The Freeze. You were playing the character of Erin, who has a roommate and they discover inside uh, that 1950s fridge a very special creature. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I'm trying to recall what happens in that film, to be honest with you. I think I get stabbed <laughs> in the throat. I haven't watched it in ages, but I'm glad you brought it up because I never think about it and then I just forget that I did it. But it's on my IMDb and everything, but you're reminding me and I'm like, that's kind of funny that I did that. You know, just a random, I haven't done many short films actually at all. Um, that's one of the only ones I've done. So thank you for bringing that to, back to the forefront of my memory because it's kind of funny. I need to watch it again. <laughs> you will need to rewatch it. And it also means, A.B. Ross, that you've been and you've made um, a lot of roads since uh, the freeze, a lot of kilometers mm -hmm. and probably miles to go. <laughs> I love what you did there. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I do have miles to go still, but that book, Miley Cyrus's biography, was very important in my um, early years of deciding to become an actress, and I used it as a, like, basically a how-to manual, which it definitely was not. It was just her own experience, but I didn't know anything about how to become an actor. Um, I just knew that I wanted to have a career like Miley Cyrus and be on a show like Hannah Montana where I get to act and become a singer. Like, who wouldn't want that? And just, you know, be a Disney Channel star. Like, that's what I wanted when I was like 12, 13, maybe. So I read the book and I was like, okay, so how did she do this? Like, what's the process here? I didn't know I was supposed to get an agent, do auditions, anything like that. So I must have been, yeah, I must have been like 10 at this point because I got an agent when I was 12 or 13. So yeah, that book, <laughs> and you know, I wish I still had it. Um, you're making me want to like go buy a copy again now because I haven't read it in years, but it's so special to me. And, she, and Miley Cyrus is so special to me. I want to um, meet her one day. Miley, if you're watching, you were a huge inspiration to me. So please respond. <laughs> In definitive, A.B. Ross, this memoir inspired you and made you the person that you are uh, right now. A book that is made of 53 chapters that are um, that helped you along the way. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and you know, it was so long ago. Um, I don't remember a lot of what the book said, but I do remember that it that she was basically like she was the actress that I wanted to be like. So, you know, after I mean, I the first time I acted, which is when I was 8 years old in a theater camp in Calgary when we lived in Alberta. Um, I didn't know I wanted to be an actor until I did this theater camp in the summer that my mom signed me up for. I just remember at the end of the camp, the the one week camp, um, where we put on a play that we had to write. I love telling this story. Uh, the play was called Amelia the Mermaid. I was Amelia the Mermaid. I was the lead role. After we did that, we put it on for all our parents. I just remember knowing that I wanted to be an actor not really wondering if I wanted to or wondering if I should or could. It was just like a knowing, like, that's what I'm going to be. And just for like a couple years after that, because no one in my family is in the industry or anything, I was just looking up online, like, how to be an actress, how to be a child star, like, how to get discovered before I ever, before I even knew what to do. And somewhere in that time, because I loved Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus, I bought that book to try to help me um, and just kind of like point me in the right direction. I literally had no idea what to do and neither did my parents. Um, and I was using a lot of, I was going on a lot of these, um, these websites that like promise to make your child a star, like talent search for Disney. <laughs> And those are probably <laughs> definitely scams. And I would like upload my profile and my picture and hope to like be discovered. Um, but it really wasn't until, well, first I kind of like through a friend, my, my parents found out about this commercial agent when I was probably 10, probably it, during the same kind of after I read the book around the same time, I got a, an agent for commercials and none of those panned out. I, I think I auditioned for like six commercials, didn't get any of them. And then my, my agent dropped me and said I look too much like a Barbie. So rude. Just the blonde hair, I guess. I don't know. And then I ended up doing background work for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> and I thought, I don't even remember how I got that agent. I think it was again like through a school friend's mom kind of telling my mom. And I thought that was the way to become an actor, was to do background work. And just one day, the director would come up to me and ask me to say some lines. Easy, right? Um, but that did not happen. <laughs> and then, yeah, it wasn't until I went to a acting and modeling convention that used to be held in Vancouver called Faces West that uh, I got scouted by a talent agent after doing, I had to do like a, a cold read of a scene. I had to choose a monologue and I had to make up a commercial. And the commercial that I made up was about, I remember it was about five gum. I don't remember the commercial at all. I don't have it on video. Um, but I guess people liked it and I got my first agent that way. And then I started doing auditions. Um, and that's, you know, that's how you get started in acting. You don't just, you usually don't just get discovered on the street, but some people do. Um, but I had to, uh, yeah, I just start doing auditions and, 
and I was not very good at it at first. Uh, my first audition, I didn't know I was supposed to memorize my lines. I was like 12, so I showed up and just read the lines off the page, and then um, my agent called my mom and said, you know, she needs to memorize her lines next time. Um, so I ended up like <laughs> kind of getting an acting coach and figuring out how to audition. Well, that's kind of how I got started. But yeah, Miles to Go was very special. This is how you got started, uh, A.B. Ross. And in this uh, memoir called uh, Miles to Go, written by Hilary uh, Liftin and Miley Cyrus, there is a chapter, chapter 32, called My Turn. Would you say that if you had to write this My Turn chapter, it would be about Emilia the Mermaid? Oh, man. Um, my Turn. I mean, I think, I think My Turn, the My Turn chapter... <laughs> would probably be about my first role. Um, yeah, Amelia the Mermaid was my first time acting. I guess M Amelia the Mermaid is when I fell in love with acting. And, and I really did, you know? It was just like, uh, just like that, you know, just that sense of knowing, like that sense of purpose, and I never strayed from that. Since I was eight years old, I always knew I wanted to be an actor. I never, never questioned it, never... Um, I never went to university for anything else. I never had like a solid backup plan. But I would say that my turn, because I, yeah, once I started auditioning at age like 13, it took me a, a, like two and a half years to finally get a role. Um, I did have braces for most of that time, so I blame it on the braces. Not Invisalign, like actual braces. And... I got it. I feel like that kind of prevented me from getting some roles, but you know. Then finally, like in the summer of the summer of when I was 15, so that would have been, um, let's see, I'm 26 now, so 11 years ago. I remember um, I didn't get this one line role on this show called Emily Owens MD that I wanted so badly. I was devastated that I didn't get this one line I was um I was pinned for it and I ended up getting told that I looked too much like one of the other characters I believe it might have been Emily herself and I just remember sobbing on the couch for hours about this one line and then in that process that summer I was auditioning for a series regular in a Canadian uh, sitcom called Seed and at that point I had done my first audition her name was Anastasia she was supposed to be very like edgy kind of punk like black fishnets and whatever and I remember when I auditioned for her I was like there is no way they would cast me so whatever I'll, I'll send in a tape no big deal uh, and it took about a month to hear back and um to hear back that I got a call back in Vancouver, even though they were filming in Halifax, they did call, uh, some callbacks in Vancouver. Um, so yeah, between the audition and the callback, I didn't get this one line. I was so upset. I did the callback, and I remember this is when auditions were in person. By the way, they're not really like this anymore. But I remember going in, 
and doing it and walking out feeling it just felt right. Something felt right, you know, but I didn't hear back for another month. Um, and this was September, I believe. And I got a, a chemistry read, a screen test essentially in Toronto for it. And I was down to the final two girls for Anastasia. Um, and I went there and I did not see this other Anastasia. I read with like two of my moms, two Janets, two Jonathans, my dad, two sperm dads, Harry, my sperm donor, two ev everyone. Um, and I was like, where is this other Anastasia? Is it just me? Um, I later found out that, that after the callback, they knew it was me, but they had another Anastasia there as a backup. If that other Anastasia is watching, I'm sorry. It's happened to me a million times. It's not personal. Um, and then I got call, uh, I got told, yeah, I never saw her. Apparently she was there after. I got told a couple days later that I got that role. That was my first role. So I would say that that, that was my turn. And I do remember it very vividly. I was coming up the stairs of my high school leaving um, and everything went through my mom, my, from my agent to my mom at that time, because I was still young. And uh, she got, she called me and she told me I got the role. And yeah, it was the best news ever. It was amazing. So that was my turn. That was my first role. Um, and it was a significant role. So very, very special. Yeah, that's what started it all. Absolutely, A.B. Ross, this was your real turn. And through your work, I feel that you have a very specific relationship with nature because you grew up near the Glenmore Reservoir or also the Elbow River. Right, sorry. <laughs> My cat just came into the frame. Um... I did grow up. <laughs> I did grow up um, close to nature. I grew up. Um, my family's really big into boating, so I grew up on boats. My dad loves boats. We always had a boat. Um, we would always have a different boat. Like sometimes we would have a sailboat. Sometimes we would have a power boat. Um, he's he's actually a yacht broker now, so he does sell boats for a living. But he he didn't really discover that career path until later in life. But yeah, growing up, we, we visited a lot of the, um, the islands off the coast of British Columbia, which are called the Gulf Islands. So we would boat up there and, and we would sometimes we would sleep in the boat. And I hated that um, because I am a bit of a princess when it comes to travel and I need a real bed and a real bathroom. And I, would, I prefer like a luxury hotel to uh, sleeping on a boat. And it's like rocking back and forth and in the night and it's just like no like I need a real you know hotel but we yeah we spent a lot of time out on the water on boats I wouldn't really consider myself the biggest nature person I think I would prefer to live in somewhere like New York but I did grow I did grow up close to you know the ocean living in Vancouver And I grew up, you know, being able to go to the beach just really easily, uh, swimming in the ocean as a kid all the time and um, like skimboarding. I don't do that anymore, but I used to. Um, so, yeah, I would say I, I'm very used to it and maybe even 
take it for granted. And if I were to leave Vancouver for a long time, which the most, the longest I've ever left is like two and a half months, I would definitely probably appreciate it more. What is your take on this city of Calgary, which is a cosmopolitan Alberta city with numerous skyscrapers? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I did live there uh, when I was <laughs> seven, eight years old. Uh, we lived there for a couple of years, not not in Calgary for two years, but we lived in a very small town outside of Calgary for a year called Redwood Meadows. No one really knows about it, but when I say it's near Brad Creek, some people from Alberta know what that is. It's a very small town. Um, my memories of living there pretty much are like a ton of snow, being cold all the time in the winter. Uh, Yeah, just having like, I, I remember like school being canceled because of snow, which does not happen here. Um, I remember the, the Calgary Stampede. That was fun. I went once. And I remember, yeah, we moved into Calgary after a year of living in this small town because the commute from, from Brad Creek, Redwood Meadows, was uh, to Calgary for my parents' work was long and, and fairly dangerous in the winter. The highways would get very icy. So we moved into Calgary and we lived really close to a lake that would freeze over in the winter and we could go skating on that lake and we could go tobogganing and sledding just super easily. It was very snowy. And yeah, in Vancouver, um, you can definitely go go sledding and stuff if you go up to the mountain, but but there it was like It was like basically in my backyard, which was crazy. And it was just, yeah, so snowy, white Christmas guaranteed. You know, I don't think that we're going to have a white Christmas this year in Vancouver. It's a very up in the air. If you're going to have snow on Christmas, usually you don't. So it's different. I definitely prefer living here, though. Um, Calgary is a little too cold for me, and it's not near the ocean. And Vancouver is just more exciting, in my opinion. Absolutely, A.B. Ross, you personally prefer Vancouver. And you just mentioned a very strong word, which is commute, because your journey and adventure has been about moving from Calgary to Vancouver, which represents close to 1,000 kilometers, a distance that can be traveled with 11 days of walking, three oh days goodness. of cycling, or probably never on a boat. <laughs> no, not on a boat. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that because <laughs> my family... We did drive there uh, when we moved, and we drove back when we moved back. And on the on the drive back, which took a day, like one night or two nights, I'm not really sure. I was so young. It was very snowy, even in Vancouver. There was a huge storm that year, which was like very uncharacteristic. But I remember my parents were having a drive in the snow, 
And it was very scary for them. And I was so young, I didn't really understand. But we were driving from Calgary back to Vancouver in terrible conditions. And um, I remember my mom, when she was driving, she was, you know, pretty stressed. And now I understand. I've actually been in a car accident myself on a snowy, icy day. Um, and I learned the hard way what not to do when you're driving in the snow. And now when it's snowing, I tend to just avoid driving because I don't want that to happen again. But yeah, that's a, that's a long commute. And I honestly haven't been back to Calgary since I left. So, oh wait, that is so not true. I went back for a callback for this show a few years ago. The, for like one, for like three hours. But yeah, other than that, haven't been back. You went back, A.B. Ross, for three little hours. And um, in definitive, moving to Vancouver was a good decision. And I would love to discuss about one of your um, latest projects in a television series called Riverdale. Can you tell us a little bit more about these experiences? Yes, I would love to. Um, Riverdale, I honestly wanted to be on that show since season one. Um, I auditioned for Betty, season one. Uh, actually, I was in Los Angeles at the time when I got the audition, so I did it in person for Betty. This was November 20, oh my God, 2015, I guess. And I did a couple more auditions for Betty They weren't connected. They weren't callbacks or anything. They just were having, uh, they were taking a while to find her. So that didn't pan out, obviously. Lily is amazing in that role. So, and then I auditioned for like one of the Pussycats, uh, Polly, who's supposed to be older than Betty and Lily is older than me. So I don't know how that would have worked. And then I auditioned for just so many roles over the years. Um, Evelyn Evernever played by Zoe de Grand Maison, who is fantastic. I also auditioned for Donna Sweet, who is played by my friend Sarah Desjardins, also great in that role. And then, um, <laughs> just over a year ago, I got a call that uh, they were bringing back a character called Midge Clump. What a name, right? Uh, bringing her back, even though she had been killed in season two. But... They were in the 50s now for season seven, and it was another dimension, so it doesn't really matter if your character had previously been dead or alive, because they can just come back. So she was coming back, <laughs> and the actress that played her previously, who is amazing also, by the way, Amelia, uh, she was unavailable, So and also represented by my agent and manager. So just conveniently, they were able to say like, hey, how about Abby for this role? And um, I did have to do a little audition tape, and I ended up doing a couple of her scenes from season two. Uh, so actually, at that time that I got the audition, I didn't know they were going to be in the 50s yet, um, because my, my scenes were from season two. Um, I did that, and it was kind of like super last minute, like, hey, Abby, can you put this tape together by tomorrow? Can you go buy a wig, like a, a brown wig, so they can really see you as this character and, and a costume? And I was like, okay, because the, the role was shooting like next week. And it was just very last minute as things are 
in this industry. And um, it was October, luckily, it was almost Halloween, so I just went to a Halloween store and got a wig. Actually, I got two wigs, one from Amazon that didn't arrive till after, and this one, just to see which one would be better. <laughs> and I did the wig, and I got like a, a, this cool like red leather jacket from a thrift store, and this sweater, and I just really tried to look like her. And um, apparently I was the only one auditioning at the time because they kind of like knew they wanted me, but they wanted to see me read. And I got the call like two or three days later that I got it. And I was just so delighted. Just I had always wanted to be on the show. So I didn't know how many episodes I was going to be in at the start. It was at least going to be two. And then they just, when you're a recurring guest star, they usually just kind of like for a network show, they tell you as you go, like, okay, you're going to be in this one and then this one and then this one. Because they're still, you know, writing it as they're kind of going when it's like a 20-episode season. They don't always have all the episodes written at the very start. So I ended up doing 14 episodes and we were in the 50s. When I found that out, I was so excited. My costumes were so much fun, lots of skirts and dresses, and I felt so feminine and, you know, and I had like the, my wig was actually black hair, so I felt like just completely transformed when I would go through hair and makeup, like I was not Abby, and literally nobody on set, if they met me with the wig on, when I took it off, they would not recognize me. They would not know it was me. It would be like, <laughs> I'd be like, hi. And they'd be like, oh. And just by my voice, they would know it was me. But I looked like a, I look like a completely different person as Midge with that wig on. And which is fun because then, you know, you really like you, you step on a set and you really become that character. And then when you're done, and I like taking off the wig was like taking her off and then I would go home and it was like it's just so we were so different and I love being able to transform I love it the fact that lots of people didn't know that was me like if and if they had like vice versa if they met me without the wig um and then I put the wig on and I got on set they would not know it was the same person so honestly that was so much fun um I love the cast. I I met a couple other newbies for season seven, Nick Barish and uh, Carl Walcott. We were uh, we all started on the same day. We were all new to season seven, and we bonded over that. Um, and then a couple other cast members, Moses and Daniel, had been brought back from previous seasons. And then, of course, the main cast were all lovely and and just so talented. Um, I really admire their work ethic, just doing doing what they do, doing these long hours, these long weeks for 10 months of the year for the past seven years. Um, it was really admirable, and I had, um, I had a lot of fun working on that show. I can feel A.B. Ross, the emotion when you are describing those weeks and months on the set of Riverdale. Mm. And you actually mentioned Zoé de Grand Maison. And I actually recorded a conversation with her really? two days ago. So what? everything is very connected. Wow, I didn't know that. I watched your... 
um, interview with Sydney Scotia, who I worked with on Some Assembly Required, and I thought that was a funny connection. I didn't know <laughs> that you interviewed Zoe. I loved working with her. I didn't get to do many episodes with her because our characters weren't super intertwined, but there was there was one episode where she was mean to my character. She told the whole school one of my secrets. And I'll let viewers watch the show to find out what that was. Unless, unless you want me to say. But her character is very mean, but she is very nice in person. She is a lovely, lovely human. So she definitely also transforms for that role. <laughs> in definitive, A.B. Ross, the character portrayed by Zoé de Grand Maison, was mean to Midge Clump which is the name of your character. And there is, as you just mentioned, some very strong um, costumes that are bringing the audience back into the 50 with the wigs. And now, after the contact lenses, you can write that down on your experiences, the ability to put wigs. <laughs> Yeah, I was really good at wearing that wig. I mean, sometimes I had to wear that wig for 15 hours straight, maybe usually more closer to 12. But it does start to get very hot and itchy after a while. And they, they really, they really like clamp it in there tightly so that it doesn't fall off. And they, you know, they clamp it here and here and you start to get like, kind of itchy and you're, you want to take it off and then the best feeling in the world is at the end of the day when they take off your wig and they give you a little scalp massage if they if they you know they wouldn't do that every time but when they did have the time after wearing a wig for that long getting a scalp massage is the best feeling ever you're just like oh, and you're like running your hands through your scalp and you're like it i'm so free Uh, but yeah, I, I rocked that wig for sure. Even though I'm naturally blonde, it somehow the, the black hair worked, I think, because of my eyes, perhaps. But it worked. I'm so happy it worked. You had the power to revive an entire character. And this um, character named um, Midge Clump, I actually find out that this first name is a Greek retro chic name that has its peak in the 50s. This is a complete mm. match. Wow. Yeah, I always thought it was an odd name. Um, I didn't do too much research about the name itself. <laughs> <laughs> But I did watch. What I did do is I watched every single episode of the series up until season seven from the time that I booked the role to, I think it took me, took me a couple months. I watched every single episode. I don't know how many that is. Like 20 episodes a season, six seasons, 100 and something. Not very good at math. Over 120 episodes, I watched them. And I am so glad I did because then I just knew everything. And you know, even though each season has different storylines. I just felt so prepared and and just I knew all the kind of like references that were made and I knew characters' relationships to each other and past relationships and friendships. And I'm just the type of 
actor that is really big on research and preparation for every role and every audition even. So I did that and uh, I got to see what happened with Midge in, in season two. Little scandalous between her and Fangs and her and Moose. And we definitely picked up on that storyline in season seven, her and Fangs. If you've watched the show, we're, we're an item. And in season two, basically, like, before she gets killed, uh, she's caught in the dressing room with Fangs, even though Moose is her boyfriend. So, very, uh, very scandalous. Very scandalous. And in conclusion, A.B. Ross, how do you visualize the many miles ahead? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, it's it was tough with with the strike happening. Um I'm glad I'm glad the strike happened. Obviously, I was in full support. Things were a little slower, so I'm excited. I'm excited for things to be picking up again. They're already picking up. I've been getting a lot of auditions and what I see for myself really is I would love to do a mini series. Uh, I'd love to do an HBO series. I would love to do something really dark. I would love to do something very serious, something maybe like a whodunit. Um, what comes to mind is um, something like something like Sharp Objects. Um, what's that one with Nicole Kidman? Oh my god, I can't remember the name. I was just thinking about Sydney Sweeney. Uh, the other day because I get told that I look like her a lot and I love her career. I love her career trajectory. I've been f kind of following her career since she got her role on The Handmaid's Tale that I auditioned for. I was like, who's this girl? Um, I mean, Euphoria is would be like my dream kind of show, 100%. I love that show. Um, but I would also really love to do feature films, like really good stories. I, I want to tell really good stories. I love comedy. I love doing comedy, but drama is probably where my heart is ultimately, where I just, um, I want to tell really moving, impactful stories that, you know, make people think or make people just feel very deeply, contemplate life, uh, you know, leave them kind of thinking about something for days. I would love to do projects like that. Drama and donor XC3000 is where your heart is. Thank you very much, A.B. Ross. <laughs> thank you so much, Victor. This was so much fun. Um, I, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for your, your questions and, and all the things you, you brought up that I had not thought about recently. It, it was a blast. <laughs> 